Sarah Rose knows you're a beautiful person. Sarah Rose knows you have an unusual talent. Sarah Rose knows you're a teenage girl. Mm, and she definitely knows that you are ready for the ultimate in teen glamour. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Not A Final Girl Podcast. Why? Because she always dies first. I just want to say that the intro to this episode was no, not a (laughs) porn intro like it fucking sounds. It is actually pulled directly from the movie. It is in fact the infomercial for the pageant. Mm. So keep that in mind. (laughs) That that's how we basically start this movie off, okay? They just put you in a real mood right away. (laughs) I also just wanted to do a quick side note and say that I saw Pray for the Devil today. Go watch it. It was so good. It's one of the best, like, exorcist-based movies I've seen in a long time. It wasn't, like, super scary. You know, it had some jump scares, but it wasn't, like, horrifically frightening. But it was so interesting and I was enraptured the entire time. I could not take my attention away from the screen. It was so good. All the actors, amazing. I mean, like 10 out of 10. I will definitely be covering that shit when it's no longer in theaters. Also, (laughs) shout out to Haley, who's just like, well, I randomly met at the theater and seems like a really cool chick with like great taste in horror. Like... We ran <laughs> we randomly met in the bathroom of the theater and we just started talking and she just listened to me ramble and she talked to me for like ten plus minutes and I just wanna say like thanks girl <laughs> you seem really cool and I'm glad you agree with me about tall naked women. Let's get them out of here. <laughs> yeah. I haven't covered those movies yet, but I have come to realize that uh Tall, old, like, naked women in horror movies are about the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> Get rid of them. I don't want them. If I, if I was ever confronted, if a naked old woman ever confronted me, they're getting hit. <laughs> they're getting decked in the face. I'm sorry. I don't care what your intentions are. Get away from me. <laughs> Shout out Haley. She was cool. <laughs> I also just want to give like a real quick disclaimer for this episode outside of the trigger warnings. Like this is a really dark comedy mockumentary about like a small town and shit like that. The jokes are really terrible and outside the context of the movie, like they're horrific. But within the movie, it's just fucking funny. And just because I laugh, it doesn't mean that I condone what is happening, you know? I feel like most of you who are listening probably understand, like, of course it's terrible, but it's a dark comedy, like, horror-esque movie, so of course it's terrible. That's what makes it funny. But for those people who are like, I can't believe she would laugh at that. That's so fucked up. Like, yeah, but that's the point. I wouldn't laugh at it if it was happening to in real life in front of me, but in the context of the movie, it's fucking funny, okay? So with that, let's get into it. We're going to cover the 1999 mockumentary Drop Dead Gorgeous. It is a hilarious movie. I absolutely love it. My mom showed it to me years and years and years ago, and I watch it at least three times a year, minimum. 
at the very minimum. I love it so much. I could probably, <laughs> I probably annoy every friend and family I have because when I watch it, I quote the entire goddamn thing. It's so good. <laughs> it had a 15 mil budget, but only grossed 10.5 mil worldwide. So like, again, a cult classic that like, just didn't get a lot of love when it first came out, which is sad because it's such a good movie. I would have given it love, but you know, I was three at the time. <laughs> I wasn't in the, these kind of movies yet, you know? The director is Michael Patrick Jan, and the writer is Lona Williams, who actually competed in pageants when she was a kid. So she drew from some real world experience of like the crazy backstage pageant mom bullshit she had to go through. And... Amazingly, she is actually in the movie. She plays the third judge, Jean, who does not speak a single fucking word. And I love it because if I was in a movie, same. Put me in the movie, don't give me any lines. I just want to look. I just want to stand there looking weird, right? <laughs> so our movie has a big cast with a lot of recognizable names. So I'm going to go through this quickly. You know, I encourage you, go look at IMDb if you don't know who I'm talking about or if I went too quickly, okay? We have Kirsten Dunst as Amber Atkins, Ellen Barkin as Annette Atkins, Allison Janney as Loretta, Denise Richards as Becky Ann Lehman, Kirstie Alley as Gladys Lehman, Sam McMurray as Lester Lehman, Mindy Sterling as Iris, Brittany Murphy as Lisa, R.I.P. Brittany Murphy was a legend and that she shouldn't have gone out that way. Love you, girl. I hope you're resting in peace. Amy Adams as Leslie, Lori A. Sinclair as Michelle, Shannon Nelson as Tess, Tara Redpenning as Molly, Sarah Stewart as Janelle, Alexandra Holden as Mary Johnson, and Brooke Elise Bushman as Tammy Curry. There's like a billion more characters. <laughs> But if I went through the entire fucking cast, we'd be here for days. So, I, seriously, go IMDb it. There's a lot of great people in this movie. Fun fact, this movie was actually a Amy Adams' first film, which is great. Just, wow. What another just classic debut moment to have. <laughs> first, we have Matthew Lillard in Serial Mom, and now we have Amy Adams in Drop Dead Gorgeous. I really want to know, how did they get here? <laughs> What led them to the moment where their first movie is this kind of movie? I Let me know, okay? Amy Adam, Matthew Lillard, get at me. <laughs> Alright, and then we have our trigger warnings for the episode. There is suicide, murder, ableism, a lot of it, specifically the R word. I don't like the word. I intend not to say it unless I'm quoting the movie exactly. It's not a good word, so warning. Eating disorders, specifically anorexia. Suggested pedophilia? <laughs> Suggested because it's never shown and there's never an implication that it's actually happening. But one of the judges is portrayed as someone very interested in teenage girls. And he's the butt of the joke a lot. So, suggested? There's general violence, tons of explosions, and, you know, with every classic 90s movie, underage smoking and drinking has to happen. <laughs> Alright, let's get into this. It starts with a panning shot of what looks to be, like, the countryside with a radio playing softly in the background. We hear the announcer say, 
you can run, but you can't hide from the Lord, which just really tells you immediately where the fuck we are in for. Suddenly a car whizzes by and we're given the drop dead gorgeous title screen. Once again, we have that kind of like lilting fairy music, the like la 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 music, which like they really try to get you, huh? Like a bunch of these movies start off with that lilting music intro and the movie's just nothing like it. Maybe they're trying to throw us off, but like it's becoming a trope now, ladies, okay? We are shown through a bunch of different title screens that in 1995 marked the 50th anniversary of the nation's oldest beauty contest, the Sarah Rose Cosmetics American Teen Princess Pageant. That's a mouthful. A documentary film crew film was sent to a small town in Minnesota to commemorate this occasion. What's hilarious to me. <laughs> I know a little bit about copyright trademark law. I learned about it a little bit in college. And <laughs> they're all they're all kind of different. And <laughs> this Sarah Rose Cosmetics is registered, copyrighted, and trademarked. <laughs> Which is just a lot. They really didn't want anyone to be able to use the name Sarah Rose, I guess. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's way too much. <laughs> now we cut to the infomercial for the pageant. This is <laughs> this is where the clip at the beginning of the podcast comes in. There's this creepy ass narrator guy talking in the third person about Sarah Rose while we just see this darkened stage full of skinny women standing in silver dresses and sashes. We hear him do the, she knows you're beautiful. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really hate the last part of it where it's like, she knows you're a teenage girl. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Why is she targeting me, a teenage girl? I don't like it. And also when they finally reveal the faces, of those contestants, not a single one of those bitches looks like a fucking teenager, okay? They all are mid-twenties or up, okay? Not a single fucking one of them is a teenager. In this entire movie, in this entire movie, like, maybe three people could actually pass for teenagers. The rest of them look like they're at least 25, okay? Also, when he's saying the, like, Sarah Rose knows you're a teenage girl part, they're like... Doing this weird-ass close-up of one of the contestants, like, eyeball, and then her smile. And I'm like, why? What What does that do for you? Why is she smiling like that? Is she smiling about being a teenage girl because bullshit? Being in high school and being a teenager was, like, the worst time of my life. That's, that's probably true of a lot of people, so I don't know why you're happy about it, okay? That's not where you want to be. He says... She knows you're ready for the ultimate in teen glamour. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> like I said in the beginning, it's either like a goddamn porn intro or a cult introduction. There's <laughs> one or the other. There's no in between. <laughs> Suddenly the screen brightens and we see all these like past winners wearing literally matching dresses and tiaras waving American flags and like marching around. The music gets, like, really pumped up and patriotic, and then they introduce host Adam West, TV's Batman. Which, even for the 90s, okay, <laughs> Adam West had already kind of trotted off a little bit, you know? Adam, <laughs> Adam West was Batman in the 60s. Like, why are you using him in the 90s, ladies? <laughs> I'm sure you could have gotten someone else. 
Adam List is introducing the pageant. He's talking about how the pageant's been enriching the lives of American girls since 1945, which is like really just showing how truly outdated this competition is, you know? Then they, they do this weird-ass camera angle where they have Adam West in the middle of the star, like, looking up directly at the camera that's slowly being lifted towards the ceiling. And while that's happening, there are two rows of girls inside and outside the star, like, doing sit-ups and toe touches in their dresses and heels. And, like, it's supposed to almost, it's, like, reminiscent of, like, a synchronized swimming what like performance and it's super weird <laughs> why are they still in their dresses and they're just surrounding adam west it makes zero sense he continues to introduce the pageant and then <laughs> we get a robot voice that's like beautiful mount rose minnesota because <laughs> they were too cheap <laughs> to make actually personalized videos for each city town anything very shortly after that introduction the commercial just suddenly cuts off and it's replaced by the intro to days of our lives like literally zooming in on the hourglass and it's like the days of our lives (laughs) we pan away from one of those old school tv carts with a vhs player plugged into it like wow memories do y'all remember that i remember that i remember being in middle school and watching bill nye the science guy on that fucker Good old days, man. Good old days. (laughs) There are four women sitting on, like, next to the TV cart with matching jackets and name tags. And they're sitting in front of the Minnesota state flag. And we learn that they're part of this organization called the, like, Civil Servettes Committee. I I don't know. It's small town bullshit, okay? (laughs) I don't even think they have real jobs at this point. I'm pretty sure it's just, like housewives that gave themselves a committee to feel better not that there's anything wrong with housewives but they were definitely bored in their lives to do what they did okay so we only really care about two of them which is iris and gladys gladys clearly shows herself as the dominant leader of the group and quickly reprimands iris for taping over the commercial which presumably hadn't aired for a while since they had to have it taped and gladys mentions that the rest of the commercial is gone forever so who actually knows when that was taped? It, it could have been even before Gladys performed. Like, who knows? And so maybe that and West thing actually makes sense. We pan over to the other side of the gymnasium where, you know, there's a group of girls spread out on the bleachers watching this tape. And we see that there are literally nine girls. <laughs> and that's it. Just there. They all look... Wow, so interested. Definitely not bored to fucking hell. They're definitely not bored. While we're looking at the audience on the screen flashes a statement saying Mount Rose, population 5,076. So we're really in for some royal town shit today, okay? Gladys gives a brief overview of what the tape would have said, basically discussing like starting this great journey that we call the American Teen Princess Pageant. Like, why does princess have to be included? That feels like way hyper feminine and super unnecessary. Like just American teen pageant. Why the princess? What does that add? What does that do? Gladys tells the girls that if they're ready to start this journey to come up and to come sign up and enjoy some refreshments, 
the camera then cuts to now it's like clearly being held by a cameraman who's like interviewing Gladys. We learn that her name is Gladys Lehman. We learn she is not only the local chairman, but she heads the pageant organizing committee as well. So the interviewer asks if beauty pageants are like still a good idea or if they're outdated. And Gladys reveals her true colors just right off the bat because she says, well, I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged woman livers might say, which woof the <laughs> really unprovoked. <laughs> like, whoo boy, we're in that era of American life. Good for us. Iris doubles down on the terribleness and says, what's really sick is women dressing like men. <laughs> which I mean, like, what does that mean? What, women wearing pants and a t-shirt? Like, <laughs> how do you dress, quote-unquote, like a man? Like, I doubt they're referring to drag kings who are probably doing, like, the whole shebang. But if it's just pants she's talking about, then, like, what? Are we back in the fucking Victoria times where I could be executed for showing my fucking ankle? And at least 90% of the girls they were even talking to was, were wearing jeans. Like, it's the 90s. It's not the, like, fucking 40s. Like, what do you mean dressing like men? I'm so angry and confused. Like, bruh. <laughs> All I know is this film does a really good job at showing, like, extremist, conservative, small town life is, you know? Like, I'm not saying all small town life is this. I'm not saying that that's even how small towns are today. But it's playing off some very true stereotypes, okay? I lived in a small town, yeah, and I, I could name people like this, okay? You know, Gladys continues that we're all God-fearing folk down here, and there's no back room to our video store. That filth is better left to the sin cities, like Minneapolis and St. Paul. <laughs> Which is those cities aren't even that big, and they're not even, like, super different from that town. But, you know, I guess if your population reaches five fucking digits, then you're fucking sinners. <laughs> like, you, you better have... <laughs> you better only have thousands of people in your population, not tens of thousands, or you're sinners. <laughs> We start seeing juxtaposed shots of, like, downtown of one of the bigger cities and then, like, rural farmland that makes up Mount Rose. You know, you see, like, the hay bales and everything. Also, <laughs> most people probably didn't notice this, but it bothers the fuck out of me. We pass by this giant cow statue, which is, like, fine. I have no problem with the statue, except for the fact that the udder is, like veiny and white <laughs> what why did you do that to this cow <laughs> it upsets me <laughs> like it genuinely upsets me like why did they make the utter veiny i don't like that i don't even i don't care if that's realistic i why would i want to see a cow pictured that way get it away from me fuck <laughs> We're showing a sign that says, Welcome to Mount Rose, home of Frida Hegstra, Minnesota's oldest living Lutheran. 
And then it has like a bunch of like pins or awards pictured on it, and they mean literally nothing to us for the as the audience. It suddenly zooms out and we see the mayor of the town standing in front of the sign. He's wearing a cowboy hat and a giant belt buckle with a horse on it, I think. He I <laughs> I honestly love the bear. He's only in for a few shots, but everyone that he's in, I'm like, get it. <laughs> he's racist as fuck. <laughs> Which isn't funny, but it's, it's fucking funny. He he goes, Frida was the oldest living Lutheran and is now dead as a doornail and the damn Shriners won't take down the sign, lazy sons of bitches. <laughs> Again, like, stereotypes hurt, but I literally know this man. <laughs> so is everyone else that's ever lived in a tiny fucking town, okay? The tiny town I lived in had that old man that had the sign that was like, Jesus loves you or whatever, and he would literally just stand on the one corner of the one street in the middle of town, just holding it and, like, honking at you. <laughs> If you were ever in a small town, you know, <laughs> you know, these stereotypes exist for a reason, okay? The music resumes and we see more like panning shots of town and residents leaving there. Again, it's like 99% white people <laughs> and like the traditional family model, of like mom, dad, and children. So just uh, keep it real Christian up in here. <laughs> Back to Gladys, where we learn that she's heading to the Mall of America to buy outfits for the pageant. While Gladys is, like, talking to Iris and the cameraman in the car, she turns her eyes off the road, and Iris is suddenly like, Look out! And Gladys swerves, barely hitting a priest. <laughs> barely hitting a priest. And Gladys, Gladys is such a bitch. <laughs> she's like, she's like, Hello, Father Dunnigan. He, roads? Sidewalks? Ever heard of them? <laughs> and then Iris does the fucking, like, drinking symbol. She's like, go, 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 go. Gladys is like, it's not their fault that sometimes that the Catholic wine is just, just too hard to resist. The temptation's too strong. And that's why Iris is like, well, we use great Kool-Aid. Like, <laughs> they've got some real complexes here because I don't understand... Why great Kool-Aid just makes you better? <laughs> like, okay, you're not taking one sip of wine. Good for you. <laughs> Seriously, from here on out, trigger warning for ableism. It happens so often in this movie. If you're not okay to hear it, you're gonna want to skip this episode, right? So Gladys is unable to find parking, and she's like, you would think that the Mall of America would have the parking lot of America, and she parks in a handicapped spot, and Iris is like, this, we're gonna get fined. And Gladys just goes, I told you if a cripple comes, I'll move. It's <laughs> so disgusting. She then is like, oh, I just came up with a theme. Proud to be an American. <laughs> like, woohoo. Then we learn that every other fucking year was also American themes. And then they ask her, like... <laughs> She's like, USA is a-okay. <laughs> they ask her what her favorite theme was, and she goes, she goes, I can. Amara, I can. <laughs> Some people really be obsessed. <laughs> and then she's like, I don't know where I get it from. It's like a gift from God or something. Like, bitch, get fucked. 
What are you even talking about? You're talking out of your ass so bad right now. Oh boy. Get in for a long one. <laughs> We're like 25 minutes into this and like barely in the movie. Jesus Christ. Okay. We cut back to registration, which I guess is still happening and being run by the other two ladies. Like, again, we literally don't give a shit about them. We never learn their names and they never speak. They're just there. We see Amy Adams. We quickly, quickly learn that she is the dumb blonde cheerleader type. I love her character <laughs> so much. She plays it so well. We learn that her name is Leslie Miller and she is signing up for the pageant because, and she says, her boyfriend thinks she'll win. Aspirations, y'all. After stating this, we cut to a different point in time where they're interviewing Leslie outside and in the middle of her answering, her boyfriend comes over and they just start heavily making out and then they lay down in the grass making out and then we like the background kind of unblurs and we see the whole group of pageant contestants just looking over like what the fuck <laughs> and then we just cut back to registration and she does some weird fucking cheer and then she's like go muskies and then she makes a fish face and she does a like <laughs> she's just being really fucking awkward for no fucking reason. We meet our main girl, Amber Atkins, gorgeous young Kirsten Dunst. We learn her mom previously competed and that Amber has a um slight obsession with Diane Sawyer. As in, literally mentions her a zillion times in this movie. She mentions Diane Sawyer so much. Oh my god. She's like, I hope I end up like Diane Sawyer more than my mom. <laughs> like, sick burn on the mom, dude. <laughs> We find out her talent is tap dancing and that she worked doing corpse makeup in the morgue. <laughs> She's literally tapping. <laughs> She's literally tapping around a slab, patting foundation onto a corpse and is like, I'm lucky I have a job that lets me practice. <laughs> like, it's so morbid. What the fuck? Back to Gladys, who's like humble bragging because she won when she was 17 and she's absolutely beaming because this pageant has her daughter, Rebecca Ann Lehman, competing, who we cut to Becky and it's one quadrillion percent obvious that she is not a teenager. She is not fucking 17, okay? Her mom has clearly trained her how to be, like, presentable and what to say because immediately in the camera view, she puts herself at, like, a three-quarter profile. she got the giant smile. She always gives, like, cookie-cutter answers. I love Denise Richards. I hate Becky Hanley. <laughs> we see Amy Adams in the background with a shot just, like, sneaking glances and just laughing at her because, yeah, Becky's fucking ridiculous. We now learn what one of the patches on the welcome sign means, and it is the Lutheran Sisterhood Gun Club, established in 1941. Tammy Curry, who we will meet momentarily, is the president. Becky is VP, and Iris is the treasurer. This shot of Becky is so fucking much. Like, <laughs> she's in, like, a fucking Malibu Barbie teal flower dress, shooting a fucking pistol. <laughs> I'm gonna put in a quote of what she says about this gun. My mom gave me this 9 mil for my 13th birthday. Yeah, I always remember what she wrote in the card. Jesus loves winners. That's why no matter what I do, 
I aim to win. Can someone fucking say bad parenting? Like, happy 13th birthday, you better be a winner, because Jesus loves winners. And also, here's a gun. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so right after she says that line, she shoots another shot, and we zoom in on her target and see that she's done a perfect X on the head of the target. So we know she's a really good shot. We cut back to another interview with R.I.P. Brittany Murphy, Lisa Swenson. I love her character so fucking much. She is so goddamn funny. She proclaims that if you're not a total fry, then pageants is just what you do when you're 17 and in a small town. We quickly learn she is obsessed with New York. Her, okay, I'm going to say obsessed like 92 billion times in this movie. And that's because... Every single character has a specific quirk obsession that differentiates them from the other. And they did it on purpose. So, I'm sorry, but they are. They're obsessed, okay? It's not just a passion. Like, they literally talk about it every second of every day. It is their entire lives. It's ridiculous. So, she's obsessed with New York, and we learn her brother Peter lives there, and <laughs> We learn that he's a drag queen who does impressions of famous women. And his makeup, impeccable. The picture she shows us, he does a damn good job. And you know what? I also, I get it. I am <laughs> I am Lisa Swenson because, like, I fucking love drag queens. I have seen every episode of Drag Race, the original, All Stars, Untucked, all of it. Oh, and Hocus Pocus 2, fucking Ginger Minge is in Focus Focus 2, and I love it so goddamn much. <laughs> I love a lot of MTV shows, honestly, like Catfish and Teen Mom and shit like that. I don't know. I love the drama because, like, I hate drama in, in my life, but seeing other people's drama is just tasty. <laughs> and honestly, even Teen Mom can't handle the drama of drag queens, okay? <laughs> my other drag race heads out there if y'all saw the drag race all-star season with benda la creme and you know what she did everyone knows if she didn't pull the move that she had she would have fucking won and i'm pissed about it she deserved to win she was such a good computer i can't believe she did that i really cannot and i i'm not gonna spoil it just in case no people haven't seen it but if you know, you know. And if you need to know, reach out to me on socials because I can rant to you about it for days. It pissed me off so much. I love Ben de la Creme and she fucked up. <laughs> anyway, Lisa shows us Peter doing Liza, Madonna, and Barbara Streisand. Like I said, makeup on point. Now we quickly cut to another contestant. Oh, poor sweet baby girl Tess. <laughs> Okay, like, I love dogs. A lot of people love dogs. I don't know a single person who loves dogs as much as Tess does. <laughs> Especially German Shepherds. She is hoofta. She has, her entire room is decorated with so many pictures and figurines. Literally wearing a shirt that says, I love German Shepherds. Like, talking about German Shepherds all the time. German Shepherds are her life. We hear some deep barking off screen. Of course, we assume that it's going to be a German Shepherd because why wouldn't we? And instead, we have her pick up a dachshund named Kenny. 
Dachshund, aka Wiener Dog, aka Cutie Patootie that I want to fucking kidnap because Dachshunds are literally one of my favorite breeds. I've had a few Dachshunds in my lifetime and a lot of my family has Dachshunds and I love them so goddamn much. They're the best little dogs. For me, top three dogs. Dachshunds, Pitbulls, Greyhounds. Okay, top three. Love them. He also literally looks like a Dachshund I had as a child. So like heartfelt moment, you know. We learned from Tess that she had a German Shepherd named Spike who went to live with a nice family on the farm. And we all know what that means because he took a nice meaty chunk out of Tess's stomach because she's... <laughs> because as she says, it was my fault. I had beef jerky in my pocket. <laughs> was it <laughs> Was it just like raw, unwrapped beef jerky? She just had in her fucking pocket <laughs> that's so nasty <laughs> she's like silent for a moment while petting kenny and then she she lifts up her shirt and shows us the scar and goes they remade my belly with skin from my butt <laughs> i love tess she is such a poor awkward little baby every time she's on camera she cracks me the fuck up <laughs> Throughout the duration of the movie, we're introduced to past pageant winners. Right now, we meet Lona Hildebrandt, the 1945 winner who is, like, currently a cranky old librarian. She's talking about how when she won, that we were at war with the Japs, which uh, presumably is World War II, and that she had to scrap her tiara for the military, which honestly is kind of unfair and that tiara probably didn't even contribute, like, anything to the scrap she should have been able to keep it that's all i'm saying especially if you're in like mount rose like who what they're gonna get like what like one bag of scrap from mount rose whatever it's stupid so now we jump to the reverse cliche family so instead of a white couple adopting an asian baby we have a japanese couple a couple who adopted a white teenager molly howard and has attempted to assimilate into not western culture but country western culture. Literally wearing fucking <laughs> denim everything. Their house looks is painted like a New Mexico sunset. They're <laughs> the mom's like wearing a fucking ascot. Like <laughs> it's so funny. Also, the couple literally says that that they adopted Molly purely so that she could help them act acclimate to america like that's fucking ridiculous and that hurts you know like this movie you know it reveals a lot of terrible things about life <laughs> i hate molly's family they go so far as to refer to their eldest daughter as the r word because she's speaking japanese instead of english get fucked dad okay we now interview <laughs> bad bitch michelle johnson johnson who is Theater queen extraordinaire. <laughs> She's so dramatic and just emo and I love it. She She's like, I want to do a monologue of like Othello or Soylent Green. Well, my own version of it. <laughs> just, this bitch just wants to get into acting and like that's it. And you know, get it girl. I hope you get there. <laughs> We meet another past winner, Connie, who lists her as an actress, but okay. She does a whole ass commercial for St. Paul Pork Products. 
literally in one scene she's wearing a bloody apron and gloves and we see the meat being processed behind her like it's so fucking nasty and like I'm unsure if this one commercial constitutes her as being an actress, but okay. Then she just eats a raw hot dog and proclaims that she loves these products so much, she works here now. (laughs) Okay, Connie, whatever you say. Also, the entire fucking commercial, she has her eyes open so wide and she just refuses to blink. Were they holding her captive? Is she okay? I don't think she is. <laughs> All I know is I love my St. Paul's pork products. This <laughs> <Just> fuck. <laughs> we meet Janelle Betts, who is honestly just a beautiful soul. <laughs> like the least weird out of all of them, even though they try to make her seem like she's fucking weird for her passion. But I think she's great. She just wants to spread sign language around the globe. Okay. You know, and they play it off like a joke, like she's creepy. But like, honestly, think about it. The world would be a better place if we all fucking learned sign language in school. Just saying. She's adorable. Anyway, (laughs) let's move on. So we meet Tammy Curry, who's like, obviously top dog in the school. She is wearing a Letterman jacket where she's like, basically president of every club. And I'm sure her resume looks fucking fantastic. We also to know she's not, I would say she's like not conventionally attractive because she's a little stocky, but like, I bet she would have won. She, she, she could have done it. Unfortunately, though, she doesn't even get the chance to compete because we cut to a shot of Tammy riding a thresher through a plowed field. She's answering a question that she believes she could win the pageant no problem. And as she finishes the quote, I'm a winner. Nobody can stop me but me. The thresher disappears behind a a hill and then just fucking explodes. (laughs) Like, it's literally like, I'm a winner. Nobody can stop me but me. (laughs) Murder number one. Here we go. We cut straight to Tammy's fucking wake. (laughs) Which is so terrible. Gladys is all, like, fake sad and... Pretending to be like a concerned community member who can't understand God's great plan. That was not the correct accent, but I'm not good at accents, so moving on. (laughs) Immediately, though, she's just like talking about the pageant again. Because Gladys doesn't actually give a fuck about anybody, okay? Except for her kid, alright? Suddenly, we're like in the girls' bathroom where there's just multiple girls like hanging around smoking. And they're interviewing this grunge chick who says that there's no way she'll be in the pageant. Because this pageant's like a roach motel. Girls check in, but they don't check out. And this pregnant girl is in the background. She goes, yeah, they say smoking's bad for your health. And they both nod while pulling a big old drag off of a ciggy. (laughs) You'll agree that the timing of this movie is fucking impeccable. (laughs) Now we're at the dance studio with the pageant girls practicing ballet at the instruction of, again, just another, like, old cranky ass woman who's smoking and fanning herself and she's just she's just a rude rude bitch she's you know she goes tondu clothes tondu clothes tondu clothes please close those legs you look like a bunch of bow-legged cows <laughs> it's so rude <laughs> this is cloris the choreographer she calls it though you know she says if she was in vegas she would bet it comes down to amber atkins and becky lehman she, like, begins to relate it to the biblical story of Cain and Abel. 
And then all of a sudden in the background, Lisa crashes into the boom guy and knocks his ass to the floor. <laughs> Interrupts just the whole thing. <laughs> and then we do our next cut. Once again, huge, 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 huge trigger warning. We're at the eating disorder anorexia part. This character happens in most of the movie. Again, she is a joke for a lot of the movie. It's funny in the context of the movie, but if anorexia is really tough for you, I would suggest moving on. So we go to the eating disorder unit of the hospital, which like, pretty sure that doesn't exist, but okay. We meet Mary Johansson, who is so sick from anorexia, she can barely breathe, barely talk, she like can't walk. And we learn that she's losing her hair as well, because Amber is like, brushing her hair and a whole chunk just rips out. It's like, oh my god, it's so bad. Basically, her body is shutting down. And Amber, who is just a lovely girl, you know, she just comes like once a week to just be nice and like, take care of her. And because Amber's just a good person. Okay. And of course, Becky shows up and She's like, oh my god, what are the cameras doing here? Like, lights, camera, and me without a stitch of makeup. Like, what the fuck ever, Becky. Bitch. <laughs> She's so rude. So Becky starts talking about how, like, she helps Mary all the time, too. And Mary's like, who, who are you? And she's like, Becky's so fucking rude. She tries to play like Mary's a dipshit. And she's like, she's like, aw, we play this dopey little game every single time. Who are you? Who are you? Like, Becky, if we meet in real life, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> so then Becky literally gives Mary a giant box of chocolates, which is so fucking rude. <laughs> now I'm going to play a clip from this scene because it's, <laughs> it's funny. Mmm, I brought your favorites. How nice, Becky. She's anorexic. She's skinny, Amber. Not deaf. Oof, yeah, that clip just <laughs> really shows you the kind of person Becky is, man. Also, the without a stitch of makeup part is like, she's literally like, got like naturally rosy cheeks and like sparkly lips and is still wearing the that fucking Barbie doll blue dress. And I'm like, okay, yeah, without a stitch of makeup. I think you wake up with just makeup already applied to your face, all right? So we see that although all the other contestants seem to kind of live in like precent, pretty decent housing, Amber lives in the trailer park with her mother who does hairstyling out of the trailer for work. There's nothing wrong with that. I've lived in trailer parks before. But the movie is clearly trying to show that like the Atkins family is the quote unquote poor family of the group. Amber lets us know that her big dream is to become a reporter like Diane Sawyer. Literally talks about Diane Sawyer constantly. She mentions, you know, <laughs> she mentions, like, guys have it easy. They get out of here with hockey scholarships or prison. <laughs> Small towns, man. <laughs> She's giving backstory on someone whose pictures are, like, strung across her room. And for, like, half a second, you think she might be talking about her mom. But, like, no. She's talking about Diane Sawyer. Then her mom walks in and immediately Annette is a whole vibe. <laughs> She comes in holding a beer, asking for her smokes, and when she still sees the film crew, she's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> Amber's like, they're filming me for the movie, and Annette tells her, well, if they ask to take your top off, make sure you get the money first. <laughs> Which is good advice, okay? 
good advice. You can't see the goods before you pay, man. God, now we go to Becky's home. The whole Lehman family is so fucking annoying. It's this giant two-story house with, like, a fountain and one of those loop driveways so that you never have to back up and turn around, which, jealous, I want a loop driveway. Fucking hate backing up. (laughs) We're both being shown pretty clearly that, like, they're the moneymakers of this town, you know. Both Becky and Gladys fucking hate Lester. (laughs) The whole movie, they constantly give him just the dirtiest, most disgusted fucking looks. Like, this is not a happy family, okay? Lester's just kind of like palling around with the film crew. He's showing them this like cool ass globe that's also a bar. I mean, come on, that's cool. That's way more interesting than whatever bullshit Gladys and Becky are about to spew. I'd much rather hear about the... The bar in the globe. Okay, pour me a drink. Whatever. Gladys and Becky get Lester to sit down and then Gladys is talking about how like outside of the home she is super impartial. But inside the home, you know, she's a mama bear kind of thing. And like bullshit, okay? While they're being interviewed, you can tell that Gladys has mentored Becky because they're both literally pulling three-quarter poses opposite of each other. And Lester is Lester's in mood. He is sucked. <laughs> he is sunk so far into the couch. He just wishes he could disappear. He's like so done with everything already. And like literally every time Becky looks at Lester, it's just pure disgust. But she just smiles so lovingly at her mother. And I'm like, come on. But we also learned that Lester's not that great because now he pulls a racist card by referring to Sammy Davis Jr. as the little black fellow with a glass eye, the Jew. Like, I was rooting for you for, like, 0.02 seconds, Lester. Why did you do this? (laughs) We leave that awkward silence and go to just more hoofta, alright? So, trigger warning for the, uh, suggested pedophilia. The character that is definitely into teenage girls, alright? But oh, actually, there's fucking inappropriate shit taking place even before we meet him. Because we cut back to the gymnasium where, like, there's a bunch of teen boys having wrestling practice. And for some fucking reason, the, the like, servette club or whatever the fuck they're called are, like, passing out refreshments. But why? Why the fuck are they still in this gymnasium? Like, do they not have an office or just a house they can go meet in? We get to very uncomfortably watch Gladys get super distracted and start scoping out all the teenage boys' like bulges. It's so gross that Iris is like trying to get her attention because she's on fucking film. And like, seriously, why do they make wrestling outfits look like that? (laughs) Like, are boys really okay with just wearing these like skin tight rompers? Just wrestling? I don't know. I'd be uncomfortable. Now we meet the first judge, John Doe. Lol. Doe. Literally spelled like bread dough. And we very quickly realize he has a penchant for young girls. I feel like we're supposed to assume that this dude was doing some shit up in the Sin Cities and moved to this small town to be able to hide in anonymity, hence why his name is John Doe. Because, you know, John Doe is the classic, like, name that is given to unknown like victims and stuff yeah (laughs) john does a whole (sighs) john does a lot (laughs) we meet judge two harold climbs he owns the town's hardware store he takes care of his mentally handicapped brother hank although he does a 
very poor job of this. Probably because it was the 90s and we didn't handle that shit well and it's a small town without a lot of resources. Like, <laughs> like Hank's annoying him during the interview and he literally picks up a snow shovel and tries to whack him in the head with it. Like, <laughs> bro, that's not what you do. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> Terrible. It's fucking funny. So now we cut to why the Lehmans are so fucking rich. Like, Lehman has this giant furniture store in town, and he's rambling to the camera crew about pricing and scam practices. And meanwhile, they're actually trying to interview judge number three, Jean, who is Lona Williams. She never gets to say a word and just very meekly follows Lester around the store. Lester is just even worse. Like... Not only racist, because he says, don't Jew me up on the price, but he's a disgusting pig. He smacks Jean on the ass and tell her, tells her to take a memo. Like, just a real top-notch guy. <laughs> Again, we see that this town is so fucking small. They're just, they're crying and begging for entertainment. We have people setting up fucking camping chairs to watch the contestants practice their physical fitness number. Like, it's a goddamn cabaret. The small town I lived in, we had a McDonald's, a Sonic, an Exxon, a Piggly Wiggly, and a dollar store. <laughs> the nearest Walmart or movie theater, even a Taco fucking Bell, was an hour away. Like, what are you supposed to do for fun? <laughs> the teenagers would call, go hang out in the Sonic parking lot, and I'd... I'd fucking play card games with my mom. Creepy John Doe is here with a whole ass camera. Like, <laughs> just watching the young contestants. And he starts... John Doe always gives way too much unnecessary information because he knows he's being a skeevy little fuck. So he's he's talking to the camera crew and he's like, well, you have cameras. Why are you questioning my camera? Your questions are... Your camera's not being questioned. Like... Like, come on, you're being a little too obvious there, John. And then poor Tess. <laughs> they do this thing where they, like, stand on top of the step stool and then they jump down and Tess, poor sweetie baby Tess doesn't do it correctly and just lands squarely on her vagina. <laughs> Which, believe it or not, crotch shots on women fucking hurt too, okay? Just because ours don't tangle doesn't mean it's not sensitive. <laughs> I feel so bad for Tess. We see her fucking icing, <laughs> icing her sore spot. <laughs> this movie is so much. <laughs> we see Amber continuing to just be an amazing human being who's helping the school cafeteria with her dishes. Becky is hitting on this dude, Brett Clemens, who's captain of the football team and could not be into Becky any less than he already is. He is so obvious he wants nothing to do with her. He's making a bunch of excuses to not go out on a date with her. And Becky notices and is like super pissed off. And then she also notices that he's being like really friendly and kind of has a thing for Amber, which just pisses her off more. After Becky notices and gets pissed off and leaves, Brett asks Amber out on Friday. Amber's like, oh, I don't know. Have to see. We're real busy this time of year. Hunting season, you know? So <laughs> a lot of... A lot of deaths in hunting season, I guess. Like, do we not understand, you know, wearing bright colors and proper 
Protection when hunting? Guess not. The camera crew goes into the kitchen to try to talk to Amber, who, like, freaks the fuck out and asks if Becky has seen them talking to her. And she says that, like, she'll talk later at her house. This is where we meet my girl, Loretta. <laughs> Allison Janney. Hell yeah. <laughs> she is a whole vibe. Her and Annette are the best. <laughs> we see the camera crew like rolling up to the mobile home and Loretta sees the camera crew through the through the window and she goes, are we on cops again? <laughs> and Annette's like, shut the fuck up. Eh, I love Loretta. She's so not afraid to speak her, speak her mind and she flaunts what her mama gave her. How boy. <laughs> Immediately she's suggesting to the the film crew that the Lemans are gonna buy their way to a victory and Annette's like you're just painting a big target on your back and it just kind of shows that everyone knows that there's kind of something funky happening with the Lemans but they're too rich and powerful to be stopped so we learn that Amber's not at the house that she's actually at the funeral home that she got called in so they meet up with Amber at the funeral home who uncovers her next client to show a dead ass Brett with a single bullet to his head and she mentions like it's right between the eyes like he got fucking executed there's no way this is an accident none zero he was murdered guaranteed they ask if <laughs> they ask if amber's upset which like fucking duh dipshit <laughs> even if even if she wasn't having a crush on this boy already it's like a town of 5,000 people. Anytime anyone dies, someone's, like, everyone's affected, okay? They all know each other. Amber tries to play it off, though. And proof, <laughs> proof that Brett was murdered. We cut to Becky, who's cleaning her fucking hunting rifle. And they tell her Brett was shot in the head. And she just goes, eh, hunting's dangerous. And then gives them this devilish grin and proceeds to just keep talking about herself. So, like, you know. You fucking know. And then finally, Amber, we cut back to Amber and she tells us why she's freaked out. And we learn that inside of her locker, she found a picture of Tammy Curry taped up. And on the back of it, it says, you're next. So obviously she's feeling really threatened. We cut to some cops who are either paid off or just supremely incompetent because they say that Tammy's death was an accident and that through some intense investigation we determined that she must have been smoking while on the thresher and amber is like vehemently denying it she's like tammy would never do that yeah she liked a good smoke but only after she got off the thresher and that her death must have been a murder then suddenly the morgue owner runs in and is telling amber that loretta called about a fire at their home and amber's like oh that's just my mom's code for like grab milk and a pack of luckies and he's like no 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 loretta called like like something's seriously wrong and remember amber was supposed to be at home and just happened to be called into the morgue because there was an influx of corpses so she heads to the trailer park where very obviously her trailer was like fucking exploded just like tammy's thresher so it's pretty much becoming confirmed that something bad's going on amber goes running towards the trailer screaming mom she keeps going, Mom, Mom, this fucking fireman who's goddamn smoking at the scene asks if she's family, and Loretta's like, no, she's got Tourette's dipshit, of course. She's only yelling, Mom, like, her mom lives here. I love Loretta. <laughs> 
So we see Annette is alive and is being carted to the burn ward of the hospital. And we find out that Annette is suffering burns primarily to the right half of her body and that she has a fucking beer can fused to her right hand because, as she says, she was sitting down with a beer, she saw something go in through the window, and then it exploded and her ass was flying through the air. <laughs> so this part doesn't make sense to me. This is a plot hole for me. Because she says that she was sitting down for a beer when something came in the window and she exploded. But yet somehow, for some reason, she had stuffed Amber's tap shoes into her underwear before the explosion went off. Why the fuck did she have Amber's tap shoes in her panties? If she did not know that that explosion was happening and she had just sat down for a beer... Why the fuck did she have them? Zero cents. I'm calling it out. Zero fucking cents. But okay. After Annette tells Amber this, she wants to tell her mom that she wants to drop out of the pageant, but she like leaves the room freaking out. <laughs> and I love Annette who's like, oh my god, she's pregnant. <laughs> Loretta's like, Calm down, see if there's any beer left in the can that's fused to her fucking hand and she tries to drink out of it. <laughs> this is some real country shit out here. <laughs> so Loretta and Amber are talking in the hallway and Amber's being like, I want to quit the pageant. Like, I'm really scared. Like, scary stuff is happening. And Loretta's like, you don't want to do that. Like, your mom f fucking hung onto your tap shoes while goddamn flying through the air like a lawn dart and she's like i gotta drop out of the pageant like what how am i gonna tell mom and loretta's like oh you know just say you know i know you sacrificed everything or tommy wasting thighs and gave me tap lessons all so i could be in the pageant and win just like you were but uh i'm quitting yeah easy as pie <laughs> in the middle of their conversation this fucking like candy striper hospitals don't have them anymore but basically they used to have a person whose job it was in the hospital to just go from room to room, like, letting people get refreshments and shit. So this candy striper, like, comes over when they're talking and goes, Little Miss Sad Pants and Serious Sally. <laughs> it's like, you want some mints? Loretta, big mood, is just like, Do you think a nice cool mint would help if I shoved your head up your ass? <laughs> I'm going to insert a clip of that because it's just fucking funny. Hey, little Miss Sad Pants and her friend Serious Sally. How about some nice cool mints to turn those frowns upside down? Do you think a nice cool mint would help if I shoved your head up your ass? <laughs> that poor candy striper. <laughs> we then have a very sweet mother-daughter bonding moment about the pageant and getting out of town because, you know, Annette's like, if I could have escaped this town, I would have. And the only thing I wouldn't have changed was having you. So don't give up on your shot. And Loretta's like fucking sobbing in the corner. And this one-off scene like really doesn't have a reason to exist. But I really love that it does. Because I really appreciate that they're showing like... They they try to show that like, yeah, Annette can kind of be a trashy mom. But she truly does love, her, love and support her daughter. So that was really nice to see. So we say that, but then... Amber and Loretta are walking down the hallway and Amber says that if she had quit the pageant, her mom was going to look up her dad and marry him. 
<laughs> so the crew asks if Annette was hiding anything about her father, which Amber's like, no, she never hid the fact that he picked his career over us. What did she always say? Once a carny, always a carny. Mom still cries when she sees a tilt-a-whirl or a fat lady in a tube top. <laughs> Once a carny, always a carny. <laughs> Fuck it. Okay. <laughs> it makes zero sense that I love it. It's so funny. <laughs> we cut back to the same two incompetent asshole cops from the beginning who are in the exact same position as the previous clip. Once again, their incompetence and corruption just knows no bounds as they're like, the Atkins fire on purpose? Shit, no. Through in in extensive investigating, we realized it was due to faulty wiring. And Annette's like, faulty wiring my ass. They're doing just as bad as the cops in the West Memphis 3 case, okay? If you know, you know. Three days before the pageant, we are at the bingo hall slash like bar. And it's where the contestants are to be interviewed by the judges. They're asking, like, bullshit questions, like, if you could be any tree in the woods, what would you be? And everyone's answer is completely related to their character, you know, like, Tess answers dogwood, Molly answers bonsai, Michelle starts doing fucking actor vocal warm-up. She's like, I can be any tree that you want, just let me warm up. And this trend continues throughout the entirety of the pageant. We also see that the judges are being paid off to prevent Amber from winning because the question they ask her is to name and spell every state in alphabetical order. Like, what? Is this a goddamn geography test or a pageant question? My girl, Amber Atkins, fucking nails the answer because she's better than all of the crusty-ass Lehmans. At first, she's a little hesitant. She starts really slow. And then four and a half minutes later, she is on top of it. Zooming, baby. She is amazing. The judges are stunned because they're like, how the fuck did she pull that off? And now they don't have like a real reason to not crown her. But lovely little, <laughs> lovely little Hank claps his ass off for her. I love him. Lisa's talking about meeting fucking Greg Luganis at Peter's show. And then just spends like a whole... <laughs> That whole last minute just giggling and saying yeah. She's like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. During this, Hank takes off his pants and they, you know, she's like, the, the R word took his pants off. And Harold just keeps being like, close up shop, close up shop. And Hank just goes, da-da. <laughs> Another terrible eating disorder joke, trigger warning. We cut back to Mary who's talking about how two weeks before the pageant, she was like, brushing up on events, getting outfits ready, blah, blah, blah. And she ends it with running 18 miles a day on about 400 calories. I was ready. (laughs) And the timing of it and the way she says it is just so impeccable. Like, it's so not funny, but it's so funny. Poor girl. We cut to dress rehearsal, and for some reason, Iris keeps being like, it's very important, we all go in show order today, that's very important. They're like, okay. They ask, (laughs) they just real quick ask Leslie if she's nervous, to which she's like, yeah, I'm really nervous, it's been about two months and I haven't told my boyfriend yet, how did you know? Clearly implying that she's missed her period for two months and is probably pregnant, and they're like, We meant the pageant. She's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Bruh. (laughs) 
We cut to Becky, who's bragging about her, like, 50s poodle skirt that's pink and has, like, 15,000 crystals. And she's being annoying. She's also racist. She's like, my father's many Mexican workers. Which, like, oh boy. This family just gets worse and worse all the time. We find out that, like, also somehow miraculously Amber's tap costume survived. Like, her mom, well, I don't know how. Her mom didn't hold on to it, but okay. Tess discusses... <laughs> Tess discusses her lucky bolt that should have killed her, but didn't because it landed flat side instead of just like impaling her brain. I think this is supposed to, you know, clue us in a, a little bit on why she's a little off, but I don't care. She's great. I love her. <laughs> like seriously, keep being you, sweetie. So remember that they said it was very important that they went and show order today, but Amber and Janelle end up switching spots. Amber was supposed to go first, and instead she's now going eighth with Janelle going first, and Amber's like, that's great. Diane Sawyer was number eight in her pageant, which like, okay. And Janelle wants to switch because she wants to meet her cousin's deaf baby, which is just adorable. <laughs> While Janelle is performing, Gladys is giving like bullshit talk about how she's like, this is a sad moment in the pageant because we're realizing that tomorrow night all but one of these girls is going to walk away a loser. And like right after she says that a fucking Klieg light, stage light, falls on Janelle's head and just knocks her out. A bunch of people rush up to Janelle and fucking Gladys keeps being like, don't touch the body, don't move the body. Like the body? What? You're just assuming that this girl is dead and like not even fucking caring about her. Becky and Amber are watching just off stage. Becky kind of looks like angry and unimpressed and then just stalks off without a word while Amber, fucking horrified, realizes that that was meant for her because she was originally first in show order. So now she's like, I really am next and she's freaking out. We cut to Amber and Loretta at Loretta's house who, and she's like trying to give Amber some alcohol to make her feel better about the incident. And <laughs> Amber's like, Never have kids, Loretta. And Loretta goes, God bless you for thinking I still could. <laughs> I fucking love Loretta. <laughs> Loretta presents her with this new dress that Annette got for the pageant. It looks just like Diane Sawyer's. And like, oh, fucking course. Finally, it's the night of the pageant. Everyone in town is present, including a very drugged Annette. Gladys is walking out on stage in some fucking knockoff. Belle in Beauty of the Beast dress. She's making the night, like, all about her. She's like, thanks. Like, everyone's clapping. She's like, is that for me or for my dress? Like, I hate her so fucking much. We get to the starting number of the pageant, which is, this land is your land playing. And the contestants discuss what they are proud to be an American for. And again, like, every answer is very tailored to the character. Lisa makes a makeshift Statue of Liberty Leslie handles the Washington Monument like a dick. It's all just so fucking ridiculous. Cut back to backstage and fucking Amy Adams is just rolling around in a goddamn red thong. <laughs> Which, like, get it, girl, but inappropriate when you're supposed to remember that she's 17 and on film in a documentary. Like, oh, fuck. Suddenly, Amber sees that her tap costume is missing. And, of course, she blames Becky. Because who the fuck wouldn't? And they're having, like, a little girl spat where, you know, like, Amber's like, bring on some of that snobby attitude. Bring it on. <laughs> Which is, like, cool insult, bro, I guess. 
And then they start just, like, pulling each other's hair and shit. Like, okay. Gladys is literally changing costumes every time she comes back on stage. It's, it's so fucking annoying. They force Mary Jo Hansen to redo her lip sync from her original so- show. It's so fucking sad and pathetic. They put her in this, like, horrific wig that is way too big for her and doesn't match her skin tone at all. And they have her nurse fucking wheeling her around stage as she lip syncs to Don't Cry Out Loud. I feel so bad for Mary. She's such a little sweetie. So they're about to do the physical fitness number and they find that the step stools are still fresh with paint. Of course, they're like, what our word would paint the step stools right before the pageant. So, you know, they they kind of inference that Hank is the one who did it. And they even cut to him and he's like charging the stage screaming like, I'm the judge, I'm the judge. <laughs> and Gladys is like, ah, <laughs> like she freaks out. They do the physical fitness number to Conga by Gloria Estefan, which is amazing. You know, come on, baby, do that, Conga. <laughs> Pain is getting literally everywhere because, because of course, like, over 50% of the dance moves involves touching the fucking step ladder. So they're getting wet paint all over them. Their arms, their face, their butts, like, everywhere. John Doe, of course, is just fucking enraptured. He loves it. When it ends... Everyone is just kind of like, what the fuck? And he just starts clapping so fucking loud. Fucking nasty ass. <laughs> In the back, all the girls are trying to use turpentine to like get the pain off of themselves before the talent portion. Lisa comes running in is like, don't go to the bathroom. Tess just blew chunks. And Becky, always the, the sunlight in the room, goes, she should have taken her fucking bolt and shoved it down her throat for dinner. Which is just, wow, Becky. Amber's like award like spirit of the year award goes to because like fuck Becky Gladys now waltzes out in these fucking plaid pants that she made for herself as part of her talent competition when she was 17 and she's all like look it still fits to which Loretta my girl (laughs) goes she had a big ass then she's got a big ass now Like, body positivity, okay? No one should be judged or insulted based on their body, but fuck Gladys. (laughs) Tess comes on stage with puke stains on her dog shirt. Her talent is recreating different breeds' barks. (laughs) They're interviewing Amber about her missing costume, all the while Amy Adams is fucking making out with her boyfriend in the background. Cloris gives her, like, this plain black leotard to replace her costume, and Cloris is, like, a real G. She's like... You're so talented, like, you don't need to hide behind sequins. And damn right, all right? Leslie's talent is cheerleading. She's having two boys wrestle, and then she's doing just some basic-ass cheers for her talent. Michelle does the very fucking dramatic interpretation of the monologue from Soylent Green, where we learn it's people and it's great. (laughs) Which, the year in that monologue is 2024, so we got, like, a year and a half before we become cannibals so you know just look out for that amber's arguing with iris about not being allowed to compete because gladys has to okay the costume before the pageant amber is rightly pointing out that someone stole her costume and there should be an exception but iris isn't having it and amber is so pissed she goes bullshit and iris says that's not american teen princess language and she says good because it's not an american teen princess pageant this is this is 
this is Nazi Germany. <laughs> and then she stalks off and Iris is just so fucking offended. <laughs> Her jaw is just like agape. And then she looks at the camera crew. She's like, where do they get this stuff? Amber tries to talk to Gladys, who, of course, just basically tells her to fuck off because, like, Gladys doesn't want her to be in the the pageant. And she's also wearing a red sequin dress, and and Amber's costume was, like, red and sequin. So I just feel like is like, a clear nod to the fact that Gladys fucking did something with your costume. All the girls are comforting Amber. Molly is doing this, like, shitty line dancing with fake pistols and all Lisa, my girl, selfless angel, gives up her chance to compete to give Amber her costume because her costume was okayed a month ago, so they can't say shit about Amber using it. Leslie, dear God girl, says, they won't let you compete naked. I know, I asked. (laughs) Which is just so her character. (laughs) And then Lisa's like, it's fine. My family only needs one Liza and Peter's got better legs than me. And then she says that she was only conceived because Peter needed a kidney. Like, what the fuck? Why did... Is this town okay? Do these parents understand what it means to be parents? Like, what the fuck is going on? And now we do Becky's talent. (sighs) What talent could she possibly do? Oh, I know. Just... Dance and sing horrifically while wearing a pink 50s costume with a crucified Jesus doll to the song Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Take that in for a moment. I'm gonna put a clip. That's gonna be the the outro song. So if you want to hear that, listen to the fucking outro song because it's ridiculous. Singing is a nice way to put it. She's really just speaking words. The entire fucking crowd is bored out of their mind. Loretta pops a shot of something (laughs) her performance isn't remarkable whatever i don't fucking care (laughs) gladys comes out and learns that lisa dropped out of the pageant to give amber her costume which gladys is pissed about she (laughs) when she goes to announce amber she literally just goes amber It just, like, doesn't even finish her name. It just walks away from the microphone. I don't know why, but that specifically just really, like, tickles my funny bone. And I I quote that all the fucking time. Just Amber F. (laughs) Because, like, it's so petty. Like, Jesus Christ, you're a grown-ass woman. Amber pulls off an amazing tap performance, which I refuse to believe was actually Kirsten Dunst because we never see a close-up of her face when she's tapping, and if we see her face, then all we have are the tapping sounds added in. Like, she definitely had a double, and I'm pretty sure her double was taller and had thicker legs. I feel like it's kind of obvious. Maybe I'm wrong, but... whatever still get it girl everyone loved amber's performance and won't stop cheering because hers was obviously the best performance and way better than becky fucking lehman the camera crew is in the back room with the judges talking about how do they figure out who's the winner of the pageant and john doe is like well you know i don't know who gene voted for i don't know who harold voted for we don't know who the winner is yet we'll have to see to which hank is like i know who the winner is i know who the winner is and john doe loses his shit and fucking attacks him harold pulls john off of hank and says that it's not hank's fault he was born crazy and john asks why 
Harold didn't leave Hank with the sitter. To which Hank starts crying and Harold's like, nice John, you know the sitter is dead. And I'm like, what the fuck? It kind of has me believe that Tammy or Brett was his sitter. Because we find out Janelle's not dead and is in fact incredibly happy because she lost her hearing and now has a reason to use sign language. Like, (laughs) pageant contestants are literally in a circle talking about it. And Amber's literally like, oh yeah, she lost her hearing. Isn't that great? (laughs) And everyone's just like, so happy for her. (laughs) She's got support at least, you know? Everyone comes back on stage and it's time to start announcing the winners. Leslie wins second runner-up, aka third place. She wins a $50 scholarship and (laughs) her boyfriend is fucking psyched. He (laughs) He is in the crowd. He kisses... He, like, kisses his bro and then rips his shirt off and he has Leslie Kicks Teen Princess pageant ass written across his chest. (laughs) They're all just so fucking jazzed that she placed. Fucking shocker. Amber gets first runner-up even though she fucking deserves to win. Literally the whole crowd is like, this is stupid. And Gladys is just so fucking smug, the bitch. So Amber gets a $75 scholarship. And then without even opening the envelope, Gladys announces that Becky is the first place winner. Which not only seals that it was fixed, but also makes sense why the first place prize was so much better than all the others. Because Becky fucking wins a $500 scholarship that was donated by Lester and all expenses paid to compete for the state title. And of course, the only ones truly celebrating are the Lehmans, because everyone else knows that, like, she doesn't fucking deserve it. She didn't even sing! She got damn fucking pranced around stage with with a fucking Jesus Christ crucifixion doll. Gladys is just being a real cunt, and she rips the tiara and sash off of Mary, who's, like, still in a wheelchair, just fucking emaciated with a goddamn IV. Gladys is just a horrendous person. Amber, of course, is, like, super fucking sad because she should have won. I love this part so much. (laughs) Lisa's dad is, like, reprimanding her for dropping out of the pageant. Lisa's like, no, you don't understand, dad. Like, Amber should have won. This is bullshit. And the dad says something about, like, you know, Peter would have never pulled something like that. And Lisa, just being 100% fed up with playing second fiddle, just starts going, well, you know what, dad? Peter's gay. Gay! (laughs) And then she just runs off and the dad goes, what? (laughs) And like it sucks that, you know, Peter's reputation could be easily influenced so easily with news like that. But just the way the line is delivered is so good. They interview the pregnant girl and grunge girl in the bathroom again. And the pregnant girl is fucking drinking like a 40 out of a paper bag. They're like, of course we're not surprised Becky won. Like, Gladys will probably ride her ass all the way to nationals. And then the crew mentions the parade. And the pregnant girl goes, no, I'm not going. I think I'm, like, due or something. (laughs) It takes another swig of the 40. (laughs) Girl, (laughs) the book. (laughs) Next day, we have the whole town ride in, like, a victory parade that's, like, taking place. Lester is disgusting. <laughs> Lester's disgusting. Beautiful as a whore's ass today, huh, boys? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Lester. We see that the Lehmans had, like, this huge-ass swan float made to carry 
Becky on her victory tour. He says he does a lot of business in Mexico and offers to pay them in tacos. You know, racist shit. Becky's bitching because she says, like, it smells like gasoline. To which Gladys is like, I don't give a fuck. Your dad paid a lot of money, so get your ass up there and smile. And then Leslie and Amber are riding behind this little swan. And (laughs) they have a moment where, like... Leslie's like, if I die, can you cover up the hickeys on my neck, the bite marks on my ears, and this thing on my inner thigh? (laughs) We see the parade in full swing, intermixed as shots of Hank, who got his overalls stuck in the trunk door, and some kids try to fuck with him, so he just pins a kid down and eats his cotton candy. (laughs) He starts begging the, the camera crew for help, and they throw up a fucking disclaimer that says, it is the policy of the documentary crew to remain true observers and not interfere with its subjects. <laughs> so, so terrible. Gladys lights these sparklers in, like, flowers that are on the swan float and then immediately gets called away by Iris. And she doesn't see, like we see, that the whole flower just starts lighting up. And then we see this the fire start to spread around the back. Flames shoot up. Becky's like... Oh, great. And then the whole ass swan explodes. Everyone's freaking out, but then we just cut to the mayor who's like on the stage and he's just clapping and he mouths good job. (laughs) I don't know if he thinks it's part of the show or just because he really fucking hates the Lumens, but like, what a vibe. (laughs) Gladys starts freaking out. She's like, the swan ate my baby. And then she loses her goddamn mind. She goes on a rant about how Amber should have been the one that died and admits to committing the other murders to ensure Becky's victory. Like, it's so fucked up. And my, but my mom and I quote all the fucking time <laughs> when talking about Tammy dying on the exploding thresher. Fucking Gladys just goes, ding, fries her up. <laughs> and then Gladys gets grabbed by cops and she sees that the filming crew for the cop show is there. And she recognizes it immediately and just starts going. <laughs> she just starts ratting out Lester. She's like, he sells reproductions. His furniture's as fake as my orgasms. <laughs> she gets carted away. And the two separate crews like say hi to each other because they've fucking met before. <laughs> I'm going to insert a clip of the like ding fries are up. And <laughs> glad it's just ratting out Lester because it's. I don't know, it's fucking funny. Oh, Tammy was one crispy critter up on that thrasher! Ding! Fraser up! Oh my god, it's cops! He sells reproductions! His furniture is as fake as my orgasm! This movie's just so chaotic. <laughs> just so much shit happening all the time. We cut to a very quick funeral for Becky. <laughs> Again, it's pretty obvious no one gives a fuck about the Lee wins because the priest goes... Maybe this is God's way of telling us to buy American. (laughs) They fucking hand over the burnt tiara to Amber, who's like now the winner and gets to go to the state. Yeah, that's right, baby. You know how the story fucking ends here? Fuck no, we got a whole nother competition to go through. This movie never ends. It's still happening to this day. We see Loretta like flirt with the cameraman and then in the next scene we see her signing for a package as the mailman is like re-tucking in his shirt and tucking his pants on. So pretty sure we know what the fuck just happened. They get the package for for the state part of the competition and they're just so fucking excited that they get to stay the night at the hotel that's right by the airport. I mean like how much smaller town can you get? 
The state competition is in a month, so we see like a quick montage of Amber practicing her tap everywhere she goes. They show up at the hotel and all these girls are staring because Loretta and Amber fucking caught a ride in the hearse. <laughs> the hearse from Amber's boss. <laughs> I get it. I would. <laughs> Fuck renting a limo. I want to show up at a goddamn hearse. <laughs> While everyone's staring, Loretta fucking flips them off and tells them to take a picture. <laughs> Amber's, like, the only one who remotely looks like a fucking teenager. Like, all these women are women. <laughs> they are not teenagers, y'all. Amber identifies herself as the winner from, winner from Mount Rose. <laughs> and one of the hosts goes, Funny, you don't look dead. <laughs> if it wasn't Becky who had died, it wouldn't have been so funny. But that's a good joke. <laughs> Loretta is hitting on any man walking, literally gives the bartender a kiss when he catches a peanut. We learn that National didn't kick in any money for the state portion of the competition, so instead of staying overnight, the girls now have eight hours to learn the choreography and take part in the competition. The two state board ladies are getting fucking sloshed on margaritas. They are messy bitches. There's this giant seafood buffet that literally everyone is eating from except the drunk ladies, Amber and Loretta, who's, who's currently fucking the bartender in, like, either a room or a staff closet. I don't know. <laughs> Amber doesn't eat it because she says her mom always says don't eat anything that has a shelf or a house because who knows when it was last cleaned. And you know what? Fucking fair. I don't like seafood anyway, and I can't deny that logic, honestly. Amber is talking to one of the other girls who's like <laughs> talking about how she's done 50 pageants and mentions that her most memorable one was in 1995 because it was in Vegas and her roommate slept with Adam West. <laughs> the documentary slaps a disclaimer saying Mr. West was unavailable for comment up on the screen. Amber starts getting nervous and doubting herself because all the other girls are like playing violins, singing opera. Another girl is doing like a super jazzy more flashy tap dance than amber does trigger warning this is a really nasty scene if you cannot handle hearing or seeing people throw up you better fucking skip it we watch as every single fucking person in this hotel collectively at the same time gets food poisoning puke everywhere it turns into a news report where we see them interviewing part of the camera crew and he goes Fucking beauty queens blowing chunks everywhere. I've never seen anything like it before and I live in LA. Which is saying something. And then they wheel the boom guy past while he's throwing up. Loretta and the bartender come out of that room and sees people throwing up. And it's like, Loretta's like, do you think they hurt us? <laughs> Which like, what the fuck were they doing that would warrant puking? <laughs> the state board ladies run through, still holding margaritas and say... Jesus Christ, call an ambulance! And the other one goes, an ambulance? Jesus Christ, call a priest! <laughs> so once again, Amber wins by default. Yay! <laughs> Everyone at Mount Rose is just fucking tickled pink. Loretta announces that she got some on live TV. <laughs> because she continues to be a vibe. <laughs> The crew conducts a phone interview with Gladys, who's in prison, and is basically blaming everything on Amber and threatening to kill her when she gets out. Poor Annette had to have her hand fucking amputated, and now she has one of those, like, prosthetics where the, it's, like, they're like pinchers at the end. She's struggling. 
now we see that Amber gets to head to Lincoln, Alabama. Yes, Alabama, not Nebraska, where Sarah Rose Cosmetics headquarters is. All of the state's winners pull up in a bus ready to begin the Nationals portion, only to find the building listed as for sale. The documentary puts on the screen, in its 50th year, Sarah Rose Cosmetics was seized by the IRS for tax evasion and the pageant was canceled permanently. So all the other beauty queens besides Amber just go fucking berserk and start breaking shit. Because, I mean, Sarah Rose couldn't have sent out a fucking fax or something. Like, damn. Amber just dejectedly walks back onto the bus. And, like, remember, three fucking people were killed. One was seriously injured. And more attempted murders happened for this pageant that was already permanently gone. Like, that's so fucked up. And I wish... I could have seen Becky and Gladys's fucking face when they saw that the pageant was canceled. I bet their asses would have lit the whole building on fire. So now we cut to kind of like a where are they now segment. We see <laughs> we see that Leslie went to the School of Beauty and started working her way through as an exotic dancer. And then they say that she's now missing somewhere in the Philippines. <laughs> like, what a way to go. Harold fucking died from Lyme disease, leaving Hank the hardware store, who just fucks everything up and is just running himself bankrupt. Because, like, duh. He's, like, wearing fucking tinfoil and, like, <laughs> like mowing the, the road. <laughs> Poor Hank. <laughs> we see Gladys enter a state prison beauty pageant, and then she got second. And she was pissed, so she escaped prison and went on a fucking rampage. She's literally having a six-hour shootout with the goddamn state police atop a fast food joint, yelling for Amber to come on out so that she can kill her, because Gladys really just holding a grudge, girl. During the shootout, a reporter gets hit with a bullet, so Amber just jumps in and starts giving the news like nothing happened, which lands her a career as a journalist with literally no experience or training. So yay, she got to be Diane Sawyer after all. And the movie ends with adult Amber at her news job. This movie for me is a fucking 10 out of 10. <laughs> it is so fucked up, yes. And should I probably not like it? Yes. And do I care? No. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. It's so freaking ridiculous. <laughs> it feels like such a quick watch. Especially with so much happening in the last like 30 minutes of the film. And the characters are all great. Like, yeah... The plot line has a couple of holes, and I pointed them out, but I'll forgive them for it. It's a fucking top-notch movie, okay? I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm thinking about what movie I want to do next, and... <laughs> Don't hate me for this, but I really want to fucking do Willy's Wonderland <laughs> with Nick Cage. Because I love the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise, and I love Nick Cage so fucking much, and... I love that movie. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not a complete shit movie. But it's so terrible in such a wonderful way. <laughs> I love that movie so fucking much. Literally my coworkers and I joke around that it lives rent free in my brain. Because they can mention it and I will just lose my shit. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and review that one next. That sounds great to me. <laughs> And then after that, I'll get into some, like, real actual horror movies. My friend Luke wants me to do The Descent and things like that. So 
I just wanted to do like my favorite culty classics first, just some fun things to get the ball rolling. And now we'll start getting some real horror. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening. You know, don't forget that you can email me at nafgpod at gmail.com. Reach out to me on Twitter at nafgpod or Instagram, not a final girl pod. Please remember that you can listen on Spotify, Amazon Music, or Apple Podcasts. And I would really appreciate if you enjoyed it, giving me a five star review and also letting your friends know that you like my podcast and to come listen because that'd be cool. I'd like a little community. Well, Until then, farewell, Ghost Gang. You know what? The rumors are true. I do have a special fella in my life. And if nobody minds, I'd like to sing a little song just for him. You're just too good to be true can't take my eye